0: Hi, everyone. I'm Brene Brown, and this is Unlocking Us. So we've got episode two of our two-part series on Little Fires Everywhere. Earlier this week, we I talked to Celeste Ng, the author of the book, and today we are going to talk with Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington, who both star in the Hulu series, Little Fires Everywhere, and executive produced the series as well. So the story goes that the book was discovered by Reese prior to its publication. When the book came out, Reese featured it in her Hello Sunshine book club, and it became an instant bestseller. She brought the book to Carrie, and together the pair approached Liz Tagalar to adapt and showrun run the novel as a limited series. It premiered on Hulu on March 18th, 2020, and there are eight episodes. And if you go now, you can watch all eight in a row. I had to like, I had to wait for each one to drop. It was just miserable in the world of binging television. You know, we're so spoiled, aren't we? Again, the series stars both Reese Witherspoon and Carrie and is set in our favorite character in the book, maybe, Shaker Heights. I think y'all know... Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington, but let me tell you about both of them a little bit. Reese is an actress, producer, and entrepreneur. She has an Academy Award, a Primetime Emmy Award. Time Magazine named her one of the 100 most influential people in the world. Forbes listed her among the 100 most powerful women. And she is just a creative's creative. She is just building all kinds of amazing craft and art around women's stories. It's its incredible. And you know what? At the end of this episode, I'll tell you where you can find them, but it's much easier to go to the show notes on BreneBrown.com other than me like listing all the web pages and the Twitters and everything else when you're out walking or Very few people are driving around these days, but when you're out and about. Let me tell you a little bit about Carrie. Carrie Washington is an Emmy, SAG, and Golden Globe-nominated actor, director, producer, and activist. She is a native of the Bronx, New York, and received high acclaim for her work in television, film, and theater. She, You may know her as Olivia Pope, one of my all-time favorite characters on television from the ABC drama Scandal. She just was so incredible, incredible in that, and a big barrier breaker, the first African American woman since 1974 to headline a network TV drama. Uh, She has earned two primetime Emmy nominations, a Golden Globe. She has launched her own production company, Simpson Street, which uses art, entertainment, and technology to share narratives that amplify our common humanity while affirming the value of every individual's journey. Washington and Simpson Street's latest release is Little Fires Everywhere. So sit back, enjoy the conversation, or put on your tennis and we'll talk as you walk. And if you're me, you can talk and walk with us, even though you're just alone with your earbuds on the street, because that's what I do. I'm, I'm a big self-talker. Children and neighbors fear me. Okay, Carrie Washington, Reese Witherspoon on Little Fires Everywhere. <music> All right, Carrie Washington, Reese Witherspoon, Little Fires Everywhere. So I want to start, we had a podcast with Celeste Ng on Wednesday. This is part two. I want to start from the beginning about your experience. I'm assuming, Reese, you read the book first and you were interested. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, I read the book. I actually ran into Celeste at a conference with a lot of authors, and she said, I want you to read my next book. And um, I was like, oh, great. Yeah, I would love that. And so she sent it, and I read the book. My, My head executive for film and television, Lauren, read it, and she just flipped over it. And so I I read it and it just, it's really spoke so much about motherhood and that your mother isn't necessarily the woman you're born to sometimes, or it is, but you can be mothered by many people in your life. And I really identified with that and explored so many inc- incredibly interesting themes. And so we optioned the book, we picked it at Reese's Book Club book, and then we optioned the book to turn it into a TV show. My executive, Lauren, was like, you know who would be amazing as Mia is Carrie Washington. And I was like... <gasps>
2: Carrie Washington, I know her,
1: and I love her. Um I've been wanting to work with Carrie for so long. we've always just come in ships passing each other, but it just felt so exciting. so i I was like wishing on a little prayer and lighting a little candle that as she read it, that she would see herself playing this character it's
0: very personal, you know, so so is that how it works? you You reached out to Carrie and said, "I'm thinking about you for this. Would you read the book? Is that we I don't know how that works?" Yeah, she
2: said she said I found something for us.
0: Um, which mm. was
2: like the best email in the world to get from Reese, but also like, oh, I wonder what it is. Like, you know, cuz that means she's cast it in her head. So I was like, well, I wonder what she's cast me as. This should be interesting. Oh, um, yeah. Right? Like what does she see as the perfect project for us to dive into together? And then I read it, and I realized, as with most things in my life, Reese was right. And, <laughs> um, and it was perfect casting. And really so, I just thought the book, it, it just grabbed me. It's just so gripping and so provocative and really moving and important. And and also I thought it would be fun because we really like each other so much. And like my dad calls us photo negatives of each other because we're like the same person in in black and white or North and South. And so to be able to kind of get in the boxing ring and not play that, you know, do something so different from our sort of natural heart connection. I knew that it would require us to, to sort of, grow as actors too.
0: So my first thought was reading. I hope they never make this into a series. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, yes. Uh (laughs) Then I heard it was you. And then I heard it was the two of you. And then I was on like a prison calendar countdown until it came (laughs) out. And 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 I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. Wow. Why? I'll tell you. Because the key, I think, to this book, at least from my, you know, because I I try to turn things off, like my work self off, but I just come to everything from this researcher, social scientist perspective. The Mm -hmm. key to this book, really, for me, was internal dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I was like, the wrong actors in this is not going to work because this would require actors that can speak a devastating passage with their facial expressions. And y'all were it. No, <laughs> no I bullshit you not. Y'all were it. Mia and Elena had looks that I knew exactly what was going on. I wouldn't didn't even need to read the book, but I was like, Oh, my God. I know that the subtext and the thought bubbles and the you just inhabited these people in a way that was really breathtaking to me. Was it hard?
1: Thank you for saying that, first of all. (laughs) Thank you. Mm -hmm. What a lovely compliment. Was it hard? I mean, I think we had so much respect for the, the words and the... Celeste, I mean, her book is just beautiful. If 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 people can, or they, I just would not miss the opportunity to read the way she speaks about motherhood and starting mm-hmm. over, about having the importance of things burning to the ground to start over. There's a beautiful passage that Carrie's character says at the very end that is so um, vivid and descriptive about destruction and and change and passage of time but was it hard yeah it was hard <laughs> the characters are tough my character is so rigid and um and i think the most the most difficult thing for me and it was probably one of the hardest characters i've ever played is that i tr- i was trying to invite people into her in the That's first right. few episodes because i knew where it was going it wasn't going to make her very many fans she is so so shut down and and rigid about her ideology. And if I didn't let people in with a lot of warmth in the beginning, then I don't think they would have gone with me on the journey, I think.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you both play characters that – Elena more so than Mia, but Mia to some degree too. You both played characters that I was not crazy about, but I could not turn off my feelings for them.
2: yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I think both characters, which was part of the challenge of of what Reese is describing, they are real people. So they are injured and wounded and broken and have figured out how to be functional in the world in a way that, that allows them to walk around and protect their hearts. But meanwhile, we still wanted audiences to feel like like they knew them, like there was room to invite them into their hearts and lives. So it was interesting to play a character who's so guarded for both of us, a character who's so guarded, but who audiences could see themselves in their humanity. You know, like guarded oh, for with sure. a reason, guarded with a reason, so that you you could get on board for the reason and for the familiarity of like I've been there or I or I know that person, but but that doesn't mean that they're quote unquote likable.
0: <laughs> It was funny because Lauren, who's our podcast producer, we were talking before this and she said in an acting class that she had taken that there was this line, you have the character's lives in your hands. Are you going Mm -hmm. to protect them? And you had their lives in your hands and you made them human. Like like we saw what was under the armor.
1: Well, it's a great gift to have incredible writing. Our our writing staff on this show was the most inclusive and thoughtful group of people that I've been around in a very long time, that they had these incredibly open conversations about race and class and sexuality and adoption and the immigrant experience in America, so that when Carrie and I arrived on set with these scripts so much thought and care had already been put into the words and the journeys of these, not just our characters, but every character. And um, and they have, I mean, you're talking about some of the most compassionate, truthful writers. They just dig deep and they're not afraid of the ugly or the real. Yeah. And they allowed us to to go to really tough places with each other. I think within... The is it the first or the second episode? You and I have that scene outside the bike shop. It's my favorite scene I
2: <laughs> when I true.
1: ask you to be my housekeeper, my maid. I mean, yeah. my housekeeper.
2: I think it's the first. It's the first. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, the first. And it's then so I fun. immediately don't know
1: what I've done wrong. And then I'm backtracking off at of it, but I don't know why. I don't know how I've offended you. It's it's a really I, I think it's it's such a well written scene. And it yeah. was really fun to play with Carrie. Because she said some stuff off camera that was not the lines, Brene. She was not <laughs> saying the real
2: lines.
0: <laughs> what were you saying, Carrie? I,
2: I don't know exactly. I think I said some curse words at times. I just, I like to play with actors and see, you know, we we have these, like, we we get into these paths like these paths in our brain of how the scene is supposed to go and how the the lines are supposed to sound and so i always think the magic is when we stir that up and it can feel like new cuz for you guys it's new it has to be new every take so sometimes i like to change the lines when i'm not on camera to to get people to see differently or hear differently but you can only do that with somebody like Reese who you know, a lesser actor, you do that and they crumble or they freak out, you know, but somebody like Reese takes that and, and stands up, you know, fights back. And and that's where you get the magic, you know, after action, because she's like so present and able to respond no matter what you say to her in character, as if she's that person.
0: I want to make sure I understand this, because this is so interesting to me. And I think everyone listening will think that so you do this scene that is so I'm almost loathe to call it a microaggression because maybe a microaggression <laughs> by 90s standards, but like a big ass macroaggression. So then you're going to have to do the scene again, but between takes, you kind of stay in your characters and you kind of go at each other a little bit and use that energy for the next take? Is that what happens? No,
2: some people do that. Okay. Some actors do work that way. We don't okay. really work that way. Reese and I aren't, don't really work that way. But after the director says action and you start mm-hmm. the scene, let's say normally in a scene, let's say you and I are doing a scene, Brene, and we're doing okay. a scene about baking pancakes. Mm-hmm. And so the director says, action. And I say, hey, can you bake me some pancakes? And your line in the script is, you know, I'm not really in the mood to bake pancakes. And then I say, okay, that's the scene. So occasionally, after we've done it a couple times, I might say, sometimes if, if actors are improvising on set, uh, the director says, action. And I say, and you say, hey, can you make me some pancakes? And I say, go to hell. No, I don't want to make you pancakes. Get out of my face. Your reaction to that is going to be very different.
1: (laughs) Do you see what Um, I'm saying, Brene? So So I would love that.
2: And so the camera's on you. So I've said something to you that's totally different from the script and you're going to be more surprised and more upset and it and it doesn't matter what I say, because in the edit room, we can cut out what I say. But what the magic is that the camera has now caught you being really upset and surprised at what I said.
0: Oh, my God. I, I, I love this. This is so good. <laughs> that would be interesting, because I would respond, yeah, yeah, I must have done that a lot, because I saw some like... I was like, "Oh my God! If looks could kill, they'd both be dead right now." In some of these scenes, like well,
1: that's the that, so, Brene. It just shows you what an incredible director Carrie is too. She's an <laughs> she's an amazing director. So she would she would actually give me like incredible. Op- she was like, "May I offer you a suggestion?" Which is a lovely <laughs> way. It was because I can choose to accept it or not, and. It's a it's a brilliant. She did directing it too. School.
2: She did it too. We started. It was great to be. We had fantastic directors. But in that scene when I was holding baby M and you were like, mm. Go, "Don't don't say anything this time," and I was like, "Oh, that's such a good idea." <laughs> like we were really there for each other as as producers, as actors, as. Co conspirators.
1: But what I will say is, too, we're about the same age. And that is really was acceptable as we were, you know, coming up in the business. And now, then I had to do these scenes at the very end of this series with the children where Mm. I do go off book and I have to say really nasty things to them. And then I was like, oh my goodness, this isn't the 90s. I have to go over and check and see if they're okay. That's right. That I just went off book and hollered at them and grabbed their arms and all. And I'd be like, yeah. are you okay? Is your body okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I don't mean those things. I'm just saying them in character.
2: <laughs> so yeah. <it> like... <laughs> I had a conversation with Lexi and Lexi Underwood, who plays my daughter, and her mom. Mm-hmm. I had a conversation with both of them at the beginning. And I said, Lexi, I'm going to push you. I'm going to push you. And even after the director says action... If there are a hundred people standing around looking, if I say something that it that you want to say cut because <laughs> I pushed you too far, you can say that to me. Like you can push back, but I'm only doing it because I know how extraordinarily talented you are. And if I don't think we're in the real zone yet, I don't want to go home till we've got it. Like, I don't want to go home till I believe everything I've said and I believe everything you've said.
0: What about this Thing like just things that I've had to do, just small things. Like I can get up and talk to a jillion people about my research. That's easy. But what about this idea where if I were an actor, I would say, "Oh, I'll be happy to do that." I'm only going to do it once, though. You can't do that, right? No, no. (laughs) And you really don't
1: do it if you're the producer, too. Exactly. Imagine about Carrie and I both being the producers is like we will stay longer, we'll wake up earlier, we'll show up more, and I've. I have to say, having Carrie as a partner was extraordinary because she carries water, and she mm-hmm. she sees everything to the finish line. With the standard of excellence is very high. She she's, it's. <laughs> I don't say this a lot, but it's like she's as driven as I am to get <laughs> the right. I laugh, but it's true. I it's And true. I see, I do see a lot of similarity between us that, I mean, we have fun and we have a great time, but we also show or up early and it.
0: Way. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I wouldn't want to just do it once because I don't want to like stay late or come in early. I just feel like if you have to do it a second time, is that vulnerable? Does that feel awkward? Everything about this is vulnerable.
2: Everything. It's so, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why so many actors I know are drawn to your work and your research is because you are studying what we have to do for a living. Like we- Yes. Yes. We really have to reveal our hearts to, to ah. tell the truth in the work. I mean, a lot of times what we're doing with the material is, we're, you know, if you're lucky, if you're blessed as an actor, you get asked to play characters at the worst moments of their lives because that's good story, right? Like that's good totally. narrative if, is you want what to, what people want to watch is is people dealing with, with big challenges And so you, we have to look at the material and look at the big challenges, whether they're internal challenges or external challenges, right? Like is the demon I'm fighting within me or is it a dragon I have to slay on a green screen? Either way, I have to be fighting big challenges and that requires courage so what, in my experience, Carrie Washington, can, can I use to relate to what Mia is going through? What can I reveal about myself, Reese Witherspoon, through these other words that you don't know I'm talking about myself, but emotionally I'm talking about myself on screen? Like, that's what we're doing all the time. Yeah,
0: that's I, right. I just, yeah, I just think, I just, I don't know. Okay, I want to, I want <laughs> to- you do I, it. I, no, just... you do know,
2: Brene, because you do it. You, you do stand know. up- I, I've seen I do live it. at Royce Hall. You stand in front of all these people and you tell your story. I mean, if anything, you do it with more courage than we do because we at least hide behind the mask of the character, right? Like I'm not telling you exactly what happened to me, but I'm telling you through her words what happened to me that made me feel a similar way. But I'm still hiding behind the character. You're not doing but that. I- you're, you're telling us all your stuff and we love it.
0: But I think, if I but I think if I had to do like I'm thinking of a couple of scenes, like if I had to do the scene in the last episode with Elena and her kids, and I'm not perfect, yes, you are, or I had to do the scene where, oh my God, where Mia is just getting hounded by her daughter for lying and all the truth. Like, I'd be like, I'm going to show up for this one time, and then I'm going to need to take off a week. And if you need another one, you're going to have to have somebody else do that. Is it hard to come in and out of that? I mean, do you just go like, yes, you are. And then, haha, can I have a cup of tea? I mean, like... Do you you know what was
1: crazy about that sequence with the four children and the very end is that... First of all, I have to say our incredible director, Lynn Shelton, was with Mm. me and my partner and she passed away a few days ago unexpectedly and very suddenly, not COVID related, but just a a rare disorder. And I just want to honor her legacy of incredible, as a director, she created so much comfort for us to be uncomfortable and a space for us to feel safe to lose control because that's what a director does doesn't judge you. Tells you to be as vulnerable as you possibly can. When you think you're done to the last drop and you have nothing left, they say, "Can you do it one more time?" And they then they hug you at the end and say, "You did it. It was amazing." And she was all of those things. And I came in as a veteran. You know, I come in and I've got my list of things. I'm like, I want to say this and I want to do that, and I'm going to go off book on that. And what I didn't anticipate was four kids who had never been in these kind of one of the kids had been in these kind of performances before but the other three had never had to have a screaming horrible fight on film with their parents to the point that it's like something terrible is going to happen to this family so with lynn together we like found that with the children by we filmed all the children first. We pushed them emotionally by hollering things at them. Oh, it's brutal. It's a terrible situation. But we got to the end of it. And then they turned around and shot my side of it. And I was fried. I was It was probably perfect because I was just a raw nerve. And I'll never forget. I mean, it makes me want to cry. I'll never forget hugging Lynn and just saying, like, look at what happened. Like, we did that. And it took four and a half hours to get that whole sequence. But it's some of the most beautiful work. I'm so proud of it. I'm so proud of Lynn and the legacy
2: that she left on film with this show. I mean, I remember our meeting with her because we didn't know what we did not know who we were going to be able to bring in to direct this because the show was so the show is so complicated and you have to be willing to traverse so many different ideas and themes and different perspectives and, and she she walked in the door and she solved our problem. Like she came in with this beautifully bound presentation and with imagery and she shared so much of herself and the ways in which she related to the story and, for, and from so many different facets, like how she related to Elena, how she related to Mia, how she related to Bibi. I mean, she just really, she gave all of herself to all of these characters and the world of this show, and it is—it's just so tremendous to now receive it as a gift from her heart. You know,
0: I gotta say that I did not know Lynn, but so many people who I love and respect have written things about her that make me just think that the world's a little dimmer without her in it. Yeah, just that's very that, true. The people that I know that make art that is real and honest and vulnerable and truth-telling seem to have a shared opinion of her, that she made a lot of that possible. So she definitely left us with a gift. So let me tell you something interesting. I'm talking to Celeste, and I asked her about the use of fire as analogy and metaphor. And you all probably know this, that she did not know how many times she referenced fire in the book and that her agent said the publishing house wants a list of potential titles. So she reread the book and that's where she realized how many times fire had been mentioned in the book. And one of the titles she put on three single spaced pages of potential titles was Little Fires Everywhere. She had no idea consciously how much she was referencing fire. Mm. And is that news to y'all? Yeah, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, great, I know it's interesting great. because when you're reading and watching it, it's not just the fire analogies and metaphors, but it's the sense that I got both watching and reading of how flammable every single thing was during the whole time. It, there's so much tension about how this shit is going to go up in smoke any second.
2: Mm -hmm. The fragility of it. The fragility. right? Mm
0: -hmm. The fragility of it is like, it's going to take one tiny spark to set this whole thing ablaze. And so I just thought fire was so smart. The other thing that I thought was interesting is, you know how everybody, when you fall in love with characters, you want part two, you want something different. And of course we all want part two of this and there's not a book, but when I asked her what she thought about the film adaptation... She said, what did you think? And I said, I got to consume two different things that were truthful and real and amazing. And they were different stories and there were changes, but there was such commitment and truth to the characters that never changed. So some of the storylines change because what you need to do on film is different than what you do in a book as a writer. I mean, I know that, Mm -hmm. but the fidelity to the characters was so real. And it was so good. How do you do that?
1: It was really important, even as we got to set, that we really incorporated more of Celeste's language, I think, because her language is really particular. You can make a show about motherhood and never say anything really profound about it. But her language, there's one particular speech where she talks about Letting go of your children, and I personally deal with this with my daughter going to college and my son is about to graduate high school, I think about it a lot, that letting go of your child is like learning to love the smell of an apple when all you want to do is devour it, seeds and all.
0: I've got Ooh. it right here. Let, let me read it. <sighs> I, I've got yeah, it pulled please. on my notes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the whole passage starts with the line, which I thought was powerful, parents, she thought. Learn to survive touching their children less and less. And this is a passage from Mia's perspective. It was the way of things, Mia thought to herself, but how hard it was. The occasional embrace, a head leaned for just a moment on your shoulder, when what you really wanted more than anything was to press them to you and hold them so tight you fused together and could never be taken apart. It was like training yourself to live. On the smell of an apple alone, when what you really wanted was to devour it, to sink your teeth into it and consume it, seeds, core and all. Mm. This was something I have to say that I thought I saw in both Mia and Elena.
2: It's so funny because I remember when, when, when we were working on putting that passage into the script, and I, I remember having a moment of thinking like, oh, but I don't, that's, that's Mia's thought. I don't know how I feel about that being Elena's lines because it's Mia's thought. And then I thought, no, this is exactly right because this is a chance for them to be the same person. And yes. if Mia witnesses Elena saying something, and if I can have Mia's reaction be, oh my God, those are my words then it will it will build a bridge between these two characters. And that's the moment, like that's the moment until the betrayal of hearing about what happened with my daughter it's a second later, um, you get that. You get that these are two characters who are of one mind and it is that unifying motherhood experience of like once the moment they are out of the building, out of your womb, if that's your path into motherhood, once they're on the outside world, it is just a walk toward individuation. It is just like, like more and more letting go every single day. However they come to you, it's just about like helping them, allowing them, fighting them, walking away from you. It is it is the thing that makes us all the same in our parenting. To, to different degrees, we allow it or don't totally. allow it, but that's the job, you know, is to is to... Let them be their own people.
0: Witness them being their own people, and it's so,
2: so hard at times.
0: <laughs> it is. Before we jumped on, Reese and I were talking. I have a twenty-year-old who's been quarantined with us for twelve weeks, and same, um, <laughs> same, same. Yes, and she said, "I've got to go. I've got to go back. To I got to go back now." And you know, and I thought, I can keep you safer here. Mm -hmm. But she's got to go back now. And that's right, because I want her to grieve the life she has, because it means she built a big life for herself. But, you know, it it takes me to this other quote that I want to talk to y'all about. To a parent, your child wasn't just a person. Your child was a place, a kind of Narnia, a vast eternal place where the present you, Where living in the past you remembered and the future you longed for existence all at once, you could see it every time you looked at her. Layered in her face was the baby you'd seen, the child she'd become, and the adult she would grow up to be. And you saw them all simultaneously like a 3D image. Mm -hmm. It made your head spin. It was a place you could take refuge if you knew how to get in. And each time you left it, each time your child passed out of your sight, you feared you might not ever be able to return to that place again.
2: Mm -hmm. We saw that.
0: We saw that in y'all.
1: But isn't that interesting how we do we layer the child, like the I I, you know, my daughter Ava, I lay the I layer baby Ava over Mm -hmm. 20 year old Ava. Mm -hmm. And it is my work as a parent of an adult child to let her become this individual that she needs to be that has nothing to do with my memory has nothing to do with my hopes or dreams for what she will be. It has everything to do with those things that are of her own and I feel you know like I think about my mom a lot lately and about letting go of this idea that <laughs> your kids have to be a certain way or be a certain or live close to the house or close to who you are. It's like the best thing my parents ever did was let me go. But God, how painful for them! Jesus, painful, painful. My mother spoke about it this morning. I talked to her. She was like, "It the the day you
2: graduated high school, I knew you weren't coming back." Mm. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. This is my my. Jeez. I think my husband asked my mom, "Like, was it hard in college? Like, when you?" Because she was describing how they they dropped me off at college. And I hopped on my bike in Washington, D.C. and was like, bye, and like took off down the street. And my husband was like, was that hard? And my mother said, no, because this is who she's been her whole life. So she has been like, I have been preparing for, I had been preparing for that moment on that sidewalk since she did that same thing to me when I dropped her at preschool.
0: (laughs) She's loose. She's on her way.
2: she was like, by that time, I was like, if I cry, it's on me, because this is who this kid is.
0: Oh. So interesting.
2: But she cried so
0: what then, if- you know, at preschool. Yeah, no, I, I, I do think, I, I think one of the things that Celeste does, it's amazing, is re- gives us words to describe things that we do that we don't understand. Like, I do think uh-huh. I see my kids in 3D every time I see them. Baby Charlie, 15-year-old going to high school Charlie, and 40-year-old Charlie. Like, I just feel like. Okay, I wanted to say this. It was interesting when I was asking her about the adaptation. I, I skipped it. I skipped this part because I wanted to share what she said. She asked me what I thought, and I said I thought I got you know to see two two different things with the same characters but the same story. Like I I loved both of them really equally. And she said, she this is the analogy she used. She said I don't know if y'all have heard it before, but she said one of her favorite songs is "Hurt" by Nine, Nine Inch Nails. And she said, man, I, and I, I didn't figure her for a Nine Inch Nails person, but I was like, right on. Okay, so that's great. And she said, and then you hear all of a sudden that Johnny Cash is going to cover Hurt. And I just couldn't believe she brought this up because that's my all-time favorite song is Johnny Cash singing Hurt. Yeah. And I said, yeah, it's the best song ever. And she said, but you were worried about it as a Nine Inch Nails fan until you heard it. And then you thought, man, now I've got two beautiful things with the same words that I'm in love with.
2: Mm, oh, my that's really goodness. Beautiful. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that goodness. incredible? Yeah, Oof. that's amazing. And also okay. makes me so happy because that, like, we, our our dream was to make something that we could feel proud of and that honored her, right? Like, it starts with her. So the fact that she feels that way is just so fulfilling for us as producers. <laughs> it's rewarding Yeah, no,
1: that's I, I mean that's that's the biggest hope when you when you option these books is that you honor these writers who have been working sometimes they've been writing these books for ten years. Right. You know? And you're
0: like, I can't mess this up. It's just the stewardship is really big.
1: Oh, yeah. And I, I feel so responsible. And it was nice to share that responsibility with Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, so bra- bravo to, to y'all, because for someone to feel like the difference is equally as beautiful and was fidelity to character she built and breathed life into, that's a big deal. All right. And I can want you say she... something else? Yeah. That, you know, what a time we're in. Like mm.
1: that Carrie and I are able to get something like this made at this level. I think about six, seven years ago when I walked into major studios with projects like this and they were like, we're not making books. We're not making adaptations with two women starring in them.
2: Mm-hmm. Like, about motherhood?
1: Yeah, about motherhood. <laughs> and, and you think about the years and years of lost storytelling we were also oh, as the actresses told not to play mothers it would age us the death and of your
2: career to be something really honest. oh mm-hmm. yeah
1: and when when streaming emerged and storytelling diversified and there was empirical data that more than just young white little boys wanted to see movies and television when it wasn't a guess anymore and there was like there was actual data it said, "There's an audience out there for these kinds of shows." It opened up a world for us as storytellers. So it's such a gift that I take so so much to heart that I'm able to be a producer with Carrie and bring a story that is so meaningful about a female, the spectrum of the female experience, because it's not just her and I. It's a a young Chinese immigrant woman. It's um, a mother who can't conceive and adopts a baby. And there's all sorts of mothering in this show. And it's not binary. It's not like the good mom does this and the bad mom does this. It's like, no, every person has done things that would horrify you as a parent. We, you know, someone said, oh, somebody said, oh, I can't believe she's screaming at her kids like that. I guarantee you, every person who watched it has watched someone scream at their children like that. Right. Or is the person screaming at their children like that? Or got
2: screamed at like that.
0: That's right. Mm-hmm. I That's couldn't awesome. even watch the Christmas cards scene. I couldn't even, like, I couldn't even watch it. My daughter was just looking away because, you know, I'm like, get in the a- and picture, because this is a Christmas card, and we're joyful. God damn it! You know, like that's like I couldn't even watch it. And then I, you know, because I'm under Christmas stress, and you know, like I have motherhood questions for y'all, but for both of you, I want, I'd love to. Okay. So, so this quote, this is from Celeste. It takes a minute for to read it, but it's it's worth it. All her life, she had learned that passion, like fire, was a dangerous thing, and so easily went out of control it scaled walls and jumped over trenches sparks leapt like fleas and spread as rapidly a breeze could carry embers for miles better to control that spark and pass it carefully from one generation to the next like an olympic torch or perhaps tend to it carefully like an eternal flame it reminds me of when i was getting my phd i got i got pregnant we were trying to get pregnant and i got pregnant the second year of my phd program and I remember going into school and telling my PhD committee that I was pregnant. And the first person to say anything was my committee chair, who said, we really thought you had a career. We really thought you were going to be someone. Oh, and wow. yeah, and I, re- I remembered a-, a quote from Carl Jung that we had studied that said, the greatest burden a child must bear is the unlived life of its parents. And I thought about Pearl and I thought about Elena's kids and I thought about the burden of the unlived life because I think that's actually true. I do
2: too. It's one of my favorite young quotes.
0: Yeah, I think it's true. So tell me how y'all as, not ac- as people, not me and Elena, are making sure that that's not a burden that your kids carry.
2: I don't know. um, I don't, I just want to say, I think it's a practice. Like I don't, I can't sit here and say like, I know that I am that I'm not giving my kids that burden, but I know that I'm conscious of, of trying to lessen their burden by, by attempting to live fully and authentically in my life and in my career, you know, knowing that, 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 you know, it's not just about putting your own oxygen mask on first because self-care is important, but also this idea that, like, I, I will impact their ability to make choices for themselves if I don't make authentic choices for myself. Just to try to practice that awareness and, um, and ask authenticity of myself. It's, it, I just, I attempt that practice trying not trying not to live small I think is the big one mm. that I that I work on and work through
1: Yeah I think that's really well said Carrie I feel like I practice the same sort of thing and try and um you know I think I had Ava when I was really young like 22 and 23 and we definitely talk about what it was that like for me and it didn't diminish my dreams you know I was I was still working and and I never you know my mother had this incredible work ethic she had three jobs all the time so I never I never thought oh I'm going to give that up or I can't I, I could afford to have a child at that time but I do think about I guess I don't know I sometimes I think people burden their children with their expectations for them and because it is the life they didn't live, I've lived a lot of great parts of my dreams. I think I see people putting their ideas of what they wanted onto their kids. And I try really, really hard just to say, what do you want? And really work on cultivating that language out of them. And let's let's focus on that too. And you don't have to be good at everything, but let's focus on what your dreams are. Because this is the time when they're like 16 to... 25 is when you have to really start doing that emotional, psychological investment in them and going, okay, okay, but let's be practical. Is that a good idea? How are you going to get there? Okay, what what have you done to to get to you, towards your goals and dreams today? So it's really fascinating to me how you have to pivot as a parent as your children get older.
0: Oh, God, and, yeah.
1: Oh, it, it's somebody, I mean, I'm sure lots of people have written books about it, but it's just it is really a completely different skill set, and I find people going, "Just be like me," or, or, "or just do what I say." This doesn't work like that. You have to yeah. earn your adult children's respect. I think
2: you know one of the things I think, Brene, when when I oh, so beautifully said, Reese, I, when I think about that quote, I don't just think about parenting. I first have to think about myself as a daughter, because I first have to ask myself, like, how was I impacted by my mother's unlived life? And then like, can it stop with me,
0: mm-hmm. right? Like can this sort of
2: generational ideology mm-hmm. that's been passed on, it was passed on to me. I know, I know exactly. And I've thought about it a lot. Reason I joked around that because we were we were teenagers in the nineties, so in a lot of ways playing these characters, it was like stepping into our mother's shoes. Because no, our mothers were parent, parenting teenagers in the '90s, so I, I thought a lot about my mom and about my relationship with my mother in the making of the show. Um, I mean, a lot. And and so I think about that a lot. That idea of like, okay, let me start with me, and how how can I make sure that I'm I'm processing my mother's unlived life in the right ways for myself, so that I'm
0: not passing that on to another
2: generation.
0: It's a generational trauma, I think. And I do think, I love both of your answers so much and I'm grateful for them because they 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 help me think about my own. I always say that my mom gave up way too much and everything and it cost her a lot. I gave up a lot less, but had a lot, Like one, like it's a practice for me too. And it's also about letting my kids be what they wanna be. But I also think the one thing I hope Ellen can do better than I did is I went ahead and went for the big life but still struggled a lot with the guilt of the choices I had to make. I had to miss stuff. I had to be out of town during things. So I'm hoping maybe Ellen, can, maybe Ellen will do big life, less guilt, and maybe then, you know, a granddaughter somewhere down the line, you know, so right. I do it's think like there's... a the
2: pendulum. Hopefully the pendulum will swing yeah. toward the center.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's what, yeah, I hope so. Okay, last question for y'all. One of my favorite characters, the one that I, I had a hard time loving... But I had some empathy for, but I would definitely position as a character, a a main character was Shaker Heights. There's no question to me that that town was a character in the book, in the film, or in Mm -hmm. the series. Um, And what was interesting for me is it made me think for the first time as a researcher, in fact, I've opened up this whole line of inquiry as a researcher since seeing, reading the book and seeing that in, and it took the book, but it also took the series, it took the cinematic expression of the book for me to really get to this was I don't think we dig enough in when we're doing our own work around the character of place. And so Nashville, the South, Mm -hmm. uh, New York, the South Bronx, tell me in a sentence or two what those characters, how those characters shaped you, just like we saw these characters shaped by Shaker Heights. How did the South of Nashville shape you, Reese? How did South Bronx shape you, Carrie?
1: Oh my gosh. I mean, (laughs) it's everything to me. It's so much, you know, and it's so on my mind all the time. Like growing up in Nashville, I had a really safe childhood. I had a really good education. I grew up mainly with my, my parents both worked a lot. So I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, like a lot. And that was so formative for me Two people also who grew up during the depression and through so much hardship. Through many world wars, they just had a different worldview. They didn't have a lot of excess. They grew a lot of their own food in the backyard. They loved simple pleasures, reading, playing cards. So I grew up with a lot of that. And this quarantine has reminded me I have a lot of resources because of my grandma and grandpa. I just went right back to that oh, you know, not that I'm a homesteader or whatever, but. Planting in the yard is a half day activity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, the, the beauty of watching birds in the yard. I mean, this sounds so dumb, y'all, but I have bought a bird bath and fill that bird mm-hmm. bath up every day and watch those birds. And it just, I, I really see switch. you on
0: Instagram <laughs> doing these things, and I'm like, is she, plant, is she planting? Or yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So those fingerprints are on your heart.
1: For sure. But it also I will say, as it pertains to the little fires, the way we spoke about race, in our primarily white community was w- with words like, well, we're colorblind. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't judge p- people for the color of their skin. And, and we see everybody as the same. And now, you know, I, and I was actually able to incorporate a lot of that, that sensibility and that language that now I understand is completely toned up and doesn't recognize the individual in the way that, has no respect or honors people from completely different backgrounds and all sorts of things I heard growing up that I'm sure so many people are growing up in the South about sexuality. And <laughs> no one ever explained to me what homosexuality was. No one ever explained. I had to figure it out when I was 15 and I started coming to Los Angeles for auditions. And I didn't understand. And somebody said, oh, I'm gay. And I was like, what's that? You know? And I, I went back wow. and- you know, one of my grandparents told me that's a very rare thing. We
2: didn't tell you because it's rare. That's what her character says in the bed. And my character says it we in, had to in put the that show. It. We had to put it in. When I heard that story, I was like, come on. <laughs> and they said we didn't explain it because it doesn't happen very often. Very, very
0: often. Rare. Rare.
1: <laughs> and, you know, that's just <laughs> not – but it that was the language that you had, and you have to understand where – And I think I'm, you know, I'm grateful that my children watch the show because they get to see like, that's what we were told. Yeah, no. There wasn't the internet and you didn't have that sort of great way to communicate and share ideas like we
2: do now.
0: It's true. Carrie, South Bronx, Shaping.
2: Oh, man. I mean, I always joke that I'm like the the twin sister of hip hop because we were both born in 1977 in the Bronx. <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel like like that I that I come from this magical art form you know where this magical art form was born in a place where people didn't have instruments right like the the funding for schools were cutting music lessons so there weren't instruments in the home and a lot of homes didn't have electricity so you plug your record player in to the electricity that's flowing down the sidewalk and you turn your record player into an instrument by creating sounds and beats off of an electronic device. Now that's now called a DJ and everybody has one at their wedding, <laughs> but it, but that's an art form that was born out of not having, right, like we, we didn't have- Out of need. Yeah, we, we didn't, we weren't being taught poetry, but we created poetry and and rhythm and music and dance on cardboards on the sidewalk. Like we we learned how to spin like yogis on cardboards on the corner because we didn't have dance studios. And there's something to that, that resilience of being from a place where we can make magic out of nothing. You know, what is now a billion dollar industry and a, a music form that feels like it belongs to a global community, but it came from my neighborhood and people looking for joy and rhythm and that even that experience of you know that housing those housing projects it was it's just like it, it's a tradition of making love and joy when resources are limited and and I so I think I feel the same way you know that Reese does around in this time feeling like we are resilient you know that that um that Glennon phrase, you know, we can do hard things. Like we can yeah. do hard things. Like mm-hmm. you don't grow up in the Bronx and and not know that you can do hard things. Because hard things are happening all around you. I was describing this game we used to play at my pool in, my, in, in the, my neighborhood was four buildings. I didn't grow up in the projects. I grew across the street from the projects, so projects adjacent. And there was a pool in the middle of our four buildings. And we played this game called All Sharks Under, where I was the first girl in my neighborhood who was invited to play All Sharks Under because I'm such a good swimmer. Um. <laughs> but I, <laughs> The point of the game was to get from one side of the pool to the other side of the pool without coming up from air. And, you know, people would try to tackle you. I was describing this to my kid's swim teacher a couple years ago. And she was like, that doesn't sound like a game. That sounds like child abuse. I'm like, that sounds really dangerous. Like, people could have died. And I was like, well, it was the Bronx. So, like, it was dangerous no matter what. So, you know, if we're going to be in the pool, we're going to play dangerously and we're going to, we're going to be fierce and we're going to,
0: we're going to get to the other side. All right. Well, I have <laughs> I to love say. love you, Carrie. You're the greatest. I, I, yeah. Like, like <laughs> dangerous or not in the water, outside the water, it's the Bronx. Yeah. There's going yeah, sh- right? yeah, to be sharks. Yeah. There's going to be sharks involved.
2: Yeah. We're not dolphins in the pool. It's not all dolphins <laughs> under. It's all sharks under. And I my bird bath. I love you so much. I'm buying a bird bath today. That's
0: amazing. Y'all, simple joy. Just simple joy. It made me it it not what's the word I like. Made me flutter a little bit when you said that because my grandmother's favorite thing was to drink instant iced tea and smoke her cigarettes while watching her bird bath in San Antonio. Yeah, and so like I I wish I could have a cigarette because I would go out there and watch my bird bath as well. (laughs) One last thing I want to say, because I think it's really important. I'm a big fan of Austin Channing Brown's anti-racism work. And I kept thinking of this quote from her when I was watching the series. When you believe niceness disproves the presence of racism, it's easy to start Mm. believing bigotry is rare and that the label racist should only be applied to mean-spirited, intentional acts of discrimination. Your politeness will not save you from the dehumanization white supremacy wreaks on yourself and the world. Niceness has yet to save us from the distortions of racism, and it won't. Niceness will never be enough.
2: Mm. Wow, that's powerful.
0: Yeah, and I just kept thinking, like... I just kept thinking of Austin Channing Brown's quote, just the same. Okay, yeah. we're yeah. we're no, getting off right now.
1: That's incredible. Thank you for sharing that, and thank yeah. you for having this conversation with us this about this whole
2: week. I know, this whole week. Can I yes. say,
1: Renee? I do think, you know, when we talk about the themes in this show, it's great to watch it with kids that are the right age mm-hmm. because it does talk about if you are not talking to your kids about racism, about class about sexuality, they were talking to somebody about it. They're
0: and getting it, data somewhere.
1: They're getting data somewhere. And because it brings up questions. It doesn't answer things for you, no. this show. You, okay. you turn off the show and my husband was watching it separate from me because he goes, you come and go, what does this mean? Why, why are you so mean <laughs> to her? Why is she so mean to you? You, you, you? It's
2: important to process. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so true. good, right? So good. I wish I had a video camera. I, I said to Reese, like, I needed to be filming Namdi watching this series. Like, he would jump off, like, no, no. Like, he was so, like, it was a football game. He was so in, so in. But also, we would have to process it. We would have to talk about it.
0: Oh, Ella and I had to talk about it every time, but, like, yeah. for a long time. Yeah, All right. I want to be respectful of your time. So this is my rapid fire 10 questions. I've never done it with two people. I'm going to switch back and forth because one of you will have a split second to prepare and I know how you actors work. Okay. I I know. Now I know the inside scoop. Okay. Number one, Reese, you go first. Fill in the blank. Vulnerability is?
1: Daring greatly. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Cheater. She's,
2: such okay. a good student. She's such a good student She's such a kiss ass good student, good student.
0: <laughs> Carrie vulnerability is Hard Number two Carrie first You're called to be brave But your fear is real It's stuck in your throat What's the very first thing you do
2: Try to breathe
0: Reese
1: Acknowledge it
0: Reese first Something that people often get wrong about you—that
1: I'm organized. (laughs) I'm not. I'm a mess. Oh, you're not.
2: Mm -mm. She is. Wow.
0: Okay. Carrie, what is something people often get wrong about you? That I'm serious all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Those are two good things. I would have thought both of those. Okay, Carrie. First, last show that you binged and loved.
2: Little fires. Uh, She's a y'all. Binge. I watched that in the edit room all, nonstop. Um, okay, last show that I binged and loved. I am binging the Michael Jordan doc, but I don't know that I'm loving it. I got to be honest; it's causing very conflicting feelings in me. Um, so binged and loved. I would say I'm late to out, the outsider and really loving it.
0: Okay, okay. Reese. Outsider? Wait, outs- the outsider. The outsider. The outsider. The outsider. outsider. Yeah. It was yeah. Like the outsider. outsider. Okay.
1: What did I love lately? Well, I watched the Michael Jordan thing I, as well. I think it's definitely bringing up a lot of feelings for me. But let me see. Why now I watch something recently? Also, Never Have I, I mean, Ever. I'm, oh, Never Have I Ever. I watched that. That is so, so funny. So it's good. really good.
0: My, the Michael All praise to Mindy brought Kaling. It. Mindy oh, Kaling yes. is
1: so funny and great.
0: Give me just one of your favorite movies, Reese.
1: Favorite movie um, I love Goldie Hawn movies So I love Overboard
0: It just it's makes me of... laugh every time Carrie
2: When Harry Met Sally
0: Okay <laughs> Carrie first A concert you'll never forget
2: oh, Best concert of my life Was my We were trying to figure out Where to go on vacation Like just my husband and I A couple years ago And he looked at the schedule For the On the Run 2 tour And in our window of vacation, they were going to be in Barcelona. And so we were like, I guess we're going to Barcelona because we were missing them in New York and missing them in L.A. So we went to Barcelona to see Jay and Bay and they were amazing. And it was it was like a perfect romantic,
0: like whirlwind concert weekend in Barcelona. God, that sounds that sounds amazing, actually. Right. Okay, Reese, a a concert you'll never forget.
1: I'm jealous of that. Oh. Seeing Dolly Parton at the Hollywood Bowl, I, <sighs> I can't, y'all. I amazing. can't. She plays every instrument. She plays like seven, Ugh. ten instruments. Ugh. She sings like an angel.
0: She's so underestimated on oh, I- the instruments.
1: Yeah. I mean, my favorite Dolly cover is like your Johnny Cash cover, which is, mm-hmm. you never thought it could be beat, Stairway to Heaven. Dolly Parton.
2: Oh, I've never heard Never heard
1: that. it. Oh, it's haunting. You have to listen to it. Oh, I'm sure. Okay, It's amazing.
0: All right, I think Reese first favorite meal. Oh, I'd have to say probably something southern like fried chicken and <laughs> biscuits, mashed potatoes, gravy. Yeah, fried okra. Oh, fried Just okra, like fried oh, things. God. Oh, and banana,
2: and banana cream pie. Okay.
0: <laughs> Low carb, Carrie.
2: Um. I love Latin food. Like growing up in the Bronx, I love Caribbean food. So like, you know, aro con pollo and pernil and just all that. Just so good. Maduro's so y'all both want tapero's. foods that, ta-
0: that take you back, take you home yeah. foods. Okay. Yeah, Caribbean food. What's on your nightstands? Carrie, first. Like, like
2: book-wise? What's on my nightstand? Anything. Oh, I have my, my nighttime vitamins by my bed. <laughs> I'm, I'm on a lot of vitamins right now And I just finished Alicia Keys' book More myself And I listened I to up. some of it I listened to and some of it I read So I have it by my I mean I'm, I am just She she so wanted to send it to me Because she name drops me in the book So she was like can I send you something to make you smile But it was at the beginning of COVID And I was like I am not accepting packages
0: <laughs> You're such a <laughs> I'm so a dork. it was like
2: that was first, It was like those first few days where I was like, I am sorry, I'm sure whatever you have will make me smile, but I cannot accept it into my heart at this moment. Um, so then I emailed her a couple of days ago and I was like, "Were you going to send me that book?" And she was like, yes it's so it's such an important book. It's beautiful yeah. and
0: so amazing. I, I uh, interviewed her for it for the podcast and it was I I a great conversation. To your podcast. I'm sure it was great. It was good. Okay, what's on your nightstand? 5,000 books, Reese Witherspoon.
1: Yes. I'm re—I'm actually rereading because I'm supposed to talk to some kids that aren't having a graduation next week. So I'm reading a um, Marian Wright Edelman's book, *The Measure of mm-hmm. Our Success*. Yeah. Again, because I read it when I was 19, and it really yeah. spoke to me. It's a letter to her sons on their 18th birthday, and it's really—it's yeah. a great book, and it's a it's good gift for a graduate. Oh, the what Measure
2: of Our idea. Success. <laughs>
0: That is an amazing graduation idea. I never thought of it. Okay.
2: You know, her son is Ezra Edelman, who directed the OJ documentary
0: and won the oh, Oscar. No, I didn't that's know
2: that. Son. That's her son. Oh, I didn't her know that. That's her know son, him. Ezra. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, that's yeah. amazing.
1: He's, he's a good friend of ours.
0: Okay. Reese, a snapshot of an ordinary moment that brings you joy in your life right now. Just an ordinary moment. The bird bath.
2: Oh, hello. <laughs> covered. In there. Are you listening, Bernay?
0: Yes. <laughs> <Cut> barely. <laughs> Carrie, these two are such um, shit starters. Don't even take that. Don't even take that sweet like, hey, it's pretty. No.
2: <laughs> Something that's bringing me joy right now. The circle time with my kids. Like we do like a real kindergarten circle time in the morning where we have a little magnet board and we change the date and we talk about how everybody's feeling and and just having that. Also, it helps me actually remember what the date is and what day of the week it is because I must teach it to them. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> So that's super helpful, but like we're picking a, I have a, a letter of the day for my three-year-old and a word of the day for my six-year-old. And that, I love like, it. that circle time in the morning is really, it's, a, it feels like such a great ritual.
0: All right. Last one. What's one thing you're both grateful for? Health, health of my family.
2: Health for sure. I would have to say particularly now, obviously health, the roof over my head water to be able to wash my hands with soap and water. She
1: said one thing, Carrie. All right. And also
2: you. I was going to say you, but now I take it back. There we go. I'm super grateful for Reese. When she'd be nice to me.
0: (laughs) All right. Closing with this quote from our friend Celestine. Rules existed for a reason. If you followed them, you'd succeed. If you didn't, you might burn the world to the ground. I think Reese and Carrie should continue burning the world to the ground. I love it. Every minute of it. You too, sister. You too. Well, we
1: will from your mouth to God's ear.
0: Y'all take good care of yourselves. All right. Thank you, Brene. Such a great conversation with Carrie and Reese. I just. You know, you look at some people and you think, you know, never meet the stars, celebrities. I've always kind of got the side eye on the celebrities. And then you talk to people like Reese and Carrie, who are just about as down to earth as anyone I've ever talked to or kind of met IRL in real life. If you want to go to the show page and figure out where to follow them, where to find them, you can do that. I can tell you a lot of it's pretty easy. Carrie on Twitter and Instagram is just Carrie Washington Reese Witherspoon, her website is hello-sunshine.com. She also owns a clothing company, Draper James, and that's draperjames.com. And Twitter, she's Reese W. And Instagram, she's Reese Witherspoon. And again, you can go to the show pages on Brown.com and learn more about them, learn more about the show, learn more about Celeste Ng and her incredible book, Little Fires Everywhere. Y'all have a good one. Stay awkward, brave, and kind, friends.